award-winning composer, violinist, violist, pianist, and concert series promoter Maria Newman was born into one of Hollywood's most famous dynastic musical families. Currently the artist-in-residence of the Montgomery Arts House of Music and Architecture, I sat down with Maria to discuss her exciting career and to reflect on the devastating Woolsey Fire. Maria Newman, welcome to Classical Chops. Thank you for having me. I am thrilled, more than thrilled to be here. I mean, literally, I wanted I wanted you on here from the moment I started. And I think I've been trying to get you that long. Well, I was so <laughs> impressed. I have been so impressed by everything you've been doing. Uh, and you're a role model. Oh, and this yeah. Is, you truly are. And you're this is sweet. extremely exciting, not only for myself, but for your other guests and the world. Yeah, well, thank you for being here. Last time I saw you, we were doing the Lost Live concert with Jaquino. Remember that? Oh, was sure fun. do. It was a blast. Yeah, so we should tell like people out there what that is exactly. I, mean, I didn't realize, you do it every year, I didn't realize there was that kind of cult following I didn't either. And actually, they did it in summer the first year, and so I was touring. I was away at festivals and that kind of thing, so I was not actually able to do it the first oh, year. Okay. So this was, this is the second year, and or maybe it was two years ago, or however many years ago they do. It might have been two years in between, but uh, so what it was, as, as of course you know, but for your listeners, uh, what it was and what it is, is that there is an audience, a wonderful audience, a, an electrifying audience, if you will, of, of these fans who love the music to Lost and love Michael, Michael Giacchino and his, and his wonderful work, and so they gather in this case, it was at the John Anson Ford Theater and the amphitheater outside. So it was magical in the summer and, you know, beautiful sounds of the world going on around us. And then we're in this magical world of Lost, playing wonderful cues that have to deal with each of the individual characters, their thematic sort of sonorities. And uh, it, it's just unbelievable to hear the crowd coming to life right, this, around these, the characters. Right, like super fans. It was Hugely, incredible. yes. Super fans is a great word. For me, it's fun to see that just because, I mean, of course, you can play some Brahms and there's a few people that like it, but this is like next level. It's it, nice just to get that kind of response from an audience. It certainly is, but there, I have to say, classical music is alive and well. Oh, yes, it and is. And those Brahmsian <laughs> fans are, are there. there. Right. Yes, we oh, can't ever there. let that go. No, no, oh, God, no. So we have to start somewhere kind of, I guess, sad, the Woolsey Fire. So you and your family are longtime residents of Malibu, and we're going to get on to more of that later. But the November 8th, was one of the most deadly, or not deadly, but one of the most destructive fires in California history. So it was contained on the 16th. 96,000 acres burned, 1,600 structures. Three people were killed. Thank God, only three. And yeah, three th- too many also. Yeah, oh my gosh. so sad. And 300,000 people evacuated, and you were one of those. So can you tell us, like, what... what? First of all, Malibu is a terrific, marvelous community made up, the world thinks it's made up of celebrities, but uh, in actuality, there are some extremely regular people who live there. People who have lived there forever. For years, right. Exactly. And and young families. I think I have heard recently on a tangent here that Malibu's demographics are changing now, that young families are having a much harder time moving in. You know, I'm talking about ones that, you know, maybe might soon be having babies to put in the school systems and all of that. So I'm hearing that because I have school-aged children. But uh, Malibu is a definite mixture of of the, you know, most elite of the elite in terms of, of celebrities and, of course, the most wonderful, 
of people, the of salt of the earth people that come together. It's really quite wonderful. There are those, of course, who go there to escape and they're never seen, but that's their prerogative as well. And it, the sad thing about Malibu, I'd say sad, is that amongst the destruction from the Woolsey Fire, which is amazingly horrific, is incredible beauty in Malibu, the oceans and the hills. And, you know, in a way, we move, we encroach upon this fire area. And so I know, and I know now, of course, and I knew when I moved in, when I built on the land there, that it was definitely a possibility that our, that our house could burn down. Uh, but I don't think anybody would have ever expected it in this horrific... Uh, yeah, like magnitude. Yes. I mean, like a firestorm. It was, there were tornadoes. I heard, now, I may be wrong, but I heard that at the hottest spot, it was 3,000 degrees. How is that possible? Where did I hear this? You oh know, but maybe you could, uh, you could check out oh, if yeah. I'm actually correct on that one. Cause that, that sounds pretty way out there. So what happened on that on day the of eighth? the eighth? Like you wake up and. So my son, my 18 year old son attends the Los Angeles film school where he's a freshman. And so the rest of our family was headed up to Ashland, Oregon on the 8th of November. Uh, and Sonny was left at at home because he he commutes into the school uh, with four dogs and a bird that we adore, by the way. His name is Claude. And Claude (laughs) sings Rossini's Barber of Seville. So he's very popular. (laughs) And Claude had to be saved too. But anyway, we also have three older horses, these Icelandic horses that were sort of rescue horses. Oh, I didn't know that. And they're really cute horses. But uh, so my husband, Scott, myself, and our two younger sons, Noah and Joaquin, were headed up, literally headed up in the car. Didn't know there was a fire. There was no fire. When we left, we left about 5 a.m. on the morning of November 8th, went up. And just above Sacramento, we saw this crazy black cloud that looked like the Wizard of Oz where Dorothy was in the black and white before the tornado hit. And we... So that was paradise. That was the paradise yeah. fire. And uh, shortly after that, I believe they closed the five. So that mm. sort of closed our, uh, you know, our egress yeah. back out. Right. Uh, but we didn't we didn't know anything that was going on in Los Angeles at that, at that moment. But uh, once we did arrive in Ashland, Oregon, where our two daughters are at Oregon Center for the Arts. And uh, by the way, one of our daughters, our senior daughter was just hired by the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And our other daughter, uh, who is actually visiting here with me today with with you, Brett, uh, Isabella is her name. She is uh, right smack in the middle of all her amazing uh, accomplishments there at uh, Oregon Center for the Arts. So that's in Ashland, Oregon. You get to go back. That's great. Yes, it's really gorgeous. Really, really gorgeous. It's it's a special place for sure with the Oregon Shakespeare Festival too. So uh, we we got there and we heard about these fires. And as the night went on, Sonny came home from uh, from Hollywood back to Malibu. And he was uh, sleeping in the living room kind of on edge. And Scott decided to fly back from Ashland or Medford, Oregon. And as, uh, as Scott was in the air at 6.30 on the 9th, we got the mandatory evacuation orders. So I immediately called Sonny. We got them in Oregon. I mean, we had Malibu's, that was awesome. The fact that we got those orders and here we are on our cell phones and Joaquin's, Noah's, and my, they all go off simultaneously. So Scott's going back down already before this even happens. I call Sonny and kind of like the person who's on the, on the visual part of the spy cam for the front (laughs) man who's out doing all the work in the field. um, I'm telling Sonny, uh, you got to get the four dogs in the car and the bird in the car and you got to go. You got, you know, grab, I think he grabbed 
my dad had nine Oscars, but I have, as the youngest child, the youngest of my generation, I have one of those Oscars. I'm so happy to have it. By the way, it's Camelot. <laughs> and so I just want you to know. But anyway, uh, I told Sonny to grab the Oscar, and uh, he grabbed two violins and two violas and headed into the car with the four dogs and the bird. And I I, I hear there were some really messy antics that went on in the car, but he, oh. he doesn't even have a license. So, you know, the kids who grew up in Malibu are scared to death to drive because PCH is so deadly. Right. And so well, he— Well, as they should be. Yeah, I know it. But luckily, he's done a lot of driving, has a permit, but— um, and I'm assuming no cop would have, you know, told him to go back or put him— Maybe right. if they put him in jail, he would have been safe. So, but anyway— <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh my he God. Got, that's right. So he literally just took off. He did. He got, and it was a slow three and a half hour drive out of Malibu already at, you know, 8 a.m. in the morning. It might have even been earlier at that point. And the he, horses were. Okay. So a friend of ours was packing up at her house, another young person, 20 years old. She came in and was going to let our horses go. That's, yeah, that's, you're supposed kind of, to, right. Right. And so instead, there was another wonderful hero lady. So I had this young woman, her name, Nina Hungerland. We need to know. Nina Hungerland, because she is a hero. Uh, but she was able to get a lady with a trailer to come up, and they, they I mean, we're, we're very close to Zuma Beach, but right. they got the horses in the trailer and took them down to shelter in this big sanctuary at Zuma Beach and stayed there with them overnight. And the reason they were able to do it, because even in this inferno, and I heard it sounded like a war. I mean, things were exploding. It was, it was horrific. I know I've used the word horrific today about a hundred times, but it was. It was literally horrific. Definitely. Anyway, she stayed there overnight. Luckily, the winds were blowing in a certain way that with their masks and everything, they were no worse for the wear. And there were, you know, so many people with animals down there. And as the, you know, it was kind of like, if you know that there's a fire going on and you're, you're prepared to evacuate, you're scared. This one, it was like, it was announced, it burned the city down, and then it left. It just took, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it was once the fire was gone, of course, we had Air was a problem. Hot right. spots were a horrible problem. Uh, there was not much defending except by residents in Malibu, either because it was too dangerous to defend. There was too much wind to defend. I don't know what happened. But uh, I, my husband, Scott, when he flew down, I told you he was flying down. He met our son close to LAX, and they drove to a friend of, of ours uh, with whom we all sheltered for about three weeks once the uh, rest of the family and I got back down to Los Angeles. So that was that was amazing, too. I um, just can't even believe this. I mean, I saw some controversial things online about Maybe they didn't do enough. Did you? How do you feel about that? Well, okay. I will say for sure that Malibu has an amazing fire department. I don't know why Malibu wasn't defended. I wasn't there. I uh, I know that there were some controversial issues with Pepperdine versus the city of Malibu. I see. And they had to choose their battles almost. They did, and I'm sure that there were uh, there was a bit of thinning in terms of firefighters because of the various fires. There was the Hill Fire that had started. Right what, not 24 hours earlier than the Woolsey fire. and uh, But I didn't see much, I assume, because of the wind. I heard the wind was torrential. And it seems like rain should be torrential, but the winds were yeah. galing, you know. Right. And uh, so, and maybe that part of that was caused by the by the fire as well. But people were running for their lives. They were escaping Literally. through flames. And I think because, you know, Malibu doesn't have much of a, an escape route. <laughs> and because of the fact that we had such a good alert system, we got out, you know, everybody got everybody got out except for these the three. I think they might have been in unincorporated Malibu, so not in Malibu City, like up on Mulholland Drive, and maybe one was in Agora Hills uh, of the three that the three I'm that so, so, so sorry. 
Yeah. I was just so sorry about that. Anyway, there were people coming in off the ocean. Uh, they were coming in on boats to try to get generator gas for generators, food and water for people who were in defending the city. It was an amazing situation. And so my husband, Scott, after he came back in to L.A., he was able to get back in, believe it or not, on police escort as an assessor. He he went in with uh, with two of our friends, the uh, Catherine Brickman and Pierce Brosnan, the actor Pierce Brosnan, <laughs> who is a wonderful sort of protector of our natural resources there. He's He and his wife, Keely Shea Brosnan, have really stood up for a lot of, of good in Malibu. And so uh, Scott was able to get in and he stayed and he ended up, uh, you know, meeting up some People call them the Malibu, you know, strong Navy. Uh, it was just names that were given to them. But it was just basically residents that were really working hard. There were vets that were in there that were trying to get prescriptions both in, you know, inside and outside of the fire lines. To, By water. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Unbelievable. Exactly. And, of course, there was no Internet. And T-Mobile came in. Thank you, T-Mobile. Came in with... Uh, uh, lots of phones that were set up for 30 days. You got to keep the phone afterwards, but for 30 days so that people, they, they must have set up towers after all of the other towers were, or some sort of communications on their trucks. And so finally the people of Malibu could communicate. But we were evacuated for 21 days. And, you know, different parts of Malibu opened up at different times. There's some that are still under hard closures. And it, it, so I know this is a crazy epic story of the fires. But we, uh, in in terms of music, Scott and I run a, a nonprofit concert series in, in Malibu at the Montgomery Arts House for Music and Architecture. Right. Tell everyone and, also wh- why the house is so special and... Uh, I love doing <laughs> these concerts. And so we, we started in, uh, you know, I guess it's like 14 seasons ago now, we started a concert series on which we also perform. So it's a collaborative thing for us. It's a collaborative effort for us. So the house has become, in a way, the Montgomery Arts House has become a, a real symbol of classical music and classical arts in general, photography. Dance, uh, right? Absolutely. Dance. Uh, in fact, we have collaborated on numerous occasions with New York City Ballet members. Uh, Malibu produces a lot of really great artists that may grow up there and tend to move out and go to different uh, performance organizations all over the world, and will come and back, we'll come back right. and and perform right here in or right there. I'm I'm here in Hollywood now, so so it's also the home of the Malibu Friends of Music and Malibu Coast Music Festival, correct? And the and you have a chamber orchestra as well that your husband conducts. Okay, tell me a little bit more about the series and. Um... All right, so. Malibu Friends of Music is a nonprofit organization, which is the umbrella organization for the Montgomery Arts House, which is only a venue. Montgomery Arts House is not an organization in and of itself. So it is a venue in which there are three spots uh, for performance. So three venues within the one venue. We have a great room venue all with gorgeous Steinway pianos, et cetera. We have a music room venue, which is a gorgeous hexagonal room with, uh, you've played there. So yes. Um, And then we also have an indoor-outdoor festival space. And uh, that, of course, is a fair weather space and uh, can actually fit a couple hundred uh, in the audience in that that spot, which is a little difficult in Malibu because of the, or in that area of Malibu, just because of parking, et cetera. So we don't do the huge concerts very often. We tend to stick to under 100. And uh, sometimes we have concerts for 30 people, very intimate concerts. And we, uh, depending on what 
venue within the venue where right, uh, we've decided right. uh, yeah, to play. So we do. We have uh, several groups, ensembles within uh, the Malibu Friends of Music umbrella are under that umbrella. We have uh, the Malibu Coast Chamber Orchestra, which, yes, is conducted by Scott and Scott Hosfeld. And Scott is also, by the way, on a tangent, he conducts the Idlewild Arts oh, nice. Symphony Orchestra because he teaches those incredible young musicians up there. You have who a great are husband. Extraordinary. Yes. Talented and... And incredible. Yeah. I love him. <laughs> He's awesome. <laughs> it was a journey to find him and it was it was a wonderful road that led to him. So uh, thank you, Scott. Uh, we also have Malibu Coast String Quartet. Everything is sort of called Malibu Coast only because uh, we like to uh, make sure that it comes back into that uh, right, that right. organization. The community gets kind of the credit. Exactly. And then we have, and, and Malibu likes to feel that they have something, yeah. I think, to well, offer. They, they have a lot to offer. Yeah, they sure do have a lot to offer so, all over. Now, the, the fires kind of impacted mm-hmm. your season, right? Oh, most definitely. <sighs> so we had, we had uh, well, I had four concerts that week the fire started. Oh my gosh. Um, one of them was off campus. I didn't I wasn't able to go, but it was at the Our Lady of Angels, wait, Cathedral. Oh, the Cathedral. The Cathedral downtown. of Our Lady of Angels. Yeah, what do they call it? Cola. I don't know what they call it. Uh, but anyway. The one downtown, the big one. It was at the Cathedral downtown. <laughs> it was it was an cross-faith concert that dealt with blessings of the earth. And it was kind of it was kind of interesting that the earth was sort of blowing up at that right. moment. But uh, I missed that concert. I was a, a composer uh, for that concert. I was not scheduled. I was actually scheduled to play, uh, you know, some minor, uh, no offense to percussionists. I am a minor percussionist. I am not you a percussionist. But I didn't I, know that. No, I'm not. I, was oh. just, I had to play a bass drum hit or something. <laughs> so... so <laughs> That was it. Somebody took uh, over that for me. Anyway. Wait, um, what was the piece you wrote for this? The piece was called Blessings of the Earth. The concert was called Blessings of the Earth, and the piece was called Blessings of the Earth. And so it was for, you know, huge choir and organ and trumpet and handbell choir and children's choir. And so it was the coming together of so many uh, uh, organizations together to, you know, in this case, it was supposed to make people aware of maybe global warming and other issues that we have to definitely come yeah, together how ironic. on. Well, yes, the, it was ironic. In, right? a, in a way, it really, really was ironic. So anyway, I wasn't able to get to that simply because I couldn't I couldn't drive down from Ashland, Oregon, which right. is where I was. And in order to do so, I guess we would have had to go practically to Colorado right. to get down. So, so what are you going to do with the series okay, I mean, as well, far as the season? We, we lost three concerts then after that, three. And so we will reschedule those concerts. So uh, we usually do several concerts monthly, sometimes up to as many as 40 a year. And so we will, we have assured our audiences that these will be simply postponed and they will be rescheduled. But we have yet to reschedule since we just got back into the house on Monday. Now, the house was completely fine, right? Can you believe it? I feel so guilty about it. And the neighbors do? Some of them, yeah. So, okay, if you were at at Montgomery Arts House, you would it would look like nothing was wrong. I mean, there was a lot of soot, and uh, especially outside, um, our house seemed to I don't know about to the na- you know naked eye versus what you'd see microscopically, but uh, there was a lot of ash in the driveway and a lot of oily ash, and I'm sure it's. You know, there are a lot of houses that went down. They don't even have any driveways to build anymore. I mean, every, everything just melted. Right. So literally the fire came up to, like, we have this steep hill. Right. Came I up the that. steep hill, stopped at 
the property line up that's, you know, kind of on the flat once you get up there. And same thing around the back. Uh, we have, um, if you could imagine the house uh, being sort of built into the hill. It's not perched. It's definitely on a flat foundation. But it's uh, it's a divided sort of you have, you walk in on the upper level and then if you go downstairs you only have windows on one side because that downstairs is built into, into the, the hill. hill. Right. So when you go on the upper side which is where all the concert venues are the upper side was built was burnt right up to the property line as well. I don't know it was a miracle. It was a complete miracle. I mean Scott keeps saying there's I mean, and there's a reason. And here I am, superstitious, knocking on wood and saying, oh, my God, don't say that. We're, you know, we're next. Or, But I do know that several of my very close friends who have lost their home said, you know, we all knew we, that this day would come. Mm. And, and now here we are. And all of us thought our houses were gone. Right. So this was just, I'm, I'm not kidding. It was a miracle. I don't know. I mean, I don't deserve a miracle. I feel terrible oh, about yes, it. Oh, yes, you do. No, honey. No, you no. do. But you I, are uh, a miracle. Oh, yeah, that's right. A miracle of something. <laughs> 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 but uh, I'm glad because I know a lot of our audience feels solace uh, when they're attending concerts. That makes me feel good that we can offer that again sooner than later. I mean, we would rebuild. We would do all that. But our house also is uh, built by Eric Lloyd Wright, who is the grandson of Frank Lloyd Wright. And so the houses, uh, and I say houses because there are several of his houses in our neighborhood, uh, they don't have right angles. So we actually had a couple of right angles snuck in into closets. But usually <laughs> the Lloyd Wrights never, or the the younger of the Lloyd Wrights, never uh, seem to have anything but acute or obtuse angles in the homes. So they become very, engineering-wise, very difficult to build. So I have no doubt that if that house had gone down, we would have had a very, very difficult time actually rebuilding, rebuilding. The, the same house. House. Exactly. Well, I heard that that's actually part of the problem with when this does happen is that they will allow you to build, you don't need permits to build the same house, but a lot of people then want to change the home. Right. And then this whole mess starts. Well, there's another, one other mess is that some people have built with materials that are no longer allowed for Ooh. fire resistance or earthquake. You know, some of these houses are old. They're in the middle of canyons. They were A-frames. They, right, you know, right. and they're not going to be able to to rebuild in the same way. So I think a lot of people are going to have trouble because they won't have the money to from the insurance to rebuild, you know, unless maybe maybe they were all brilliant and they had uh, really great insurance policies that would have accounted for that. God, it's so intense. Okay, so, uh, Maria, your father, Alfred Newman, one of the great film composers um, ever. <laughs> Nine Academy Awards, 43 nominations. I was listening to The Robe today. Oh, my I gosh. Know. It's so good. It is so gorgeous. Yeah, that's like... I know. Those days are gone. I know. <laughs> so tell me what it's we like... We could vibrato back then. Oh, the my God, I know. <laughs> it's just... Anyways, so I'm going to go on a whole Alfred Newman kick this week. But anyways, I've got you here. So tell me about growing up in this family and your mother and... Well, growing up in the family... At the time, I was becoming aware that I was alive as a as a you know newborn and getting into age three. Right? Isn't that when they say you first start having memories or something? Just seemed like any normal family to me because I knew no different. Of course. Now your father he died when you were young, right? He did. Oh. He did. But I did know he was special. So this hmm. um, sort of teasing, of course, as I'm talking about babyhood to age three. But as uh, as I 
really became aware of music. I think I had a sensitivity to music, and I knew that my father was special. And he used to let me, he was working at home by then, by the way. He had been a music director for decades at 20th Century Fox. And when the, in the 60s, when television started coming in, there was a big scare amongst filmmakers that uh, films would no longer be around because television would take over. Well, clearly that didn't happen, but each took their own place. And I know that now even, of course, uh, things are changing as we get into more content with television. And and even in, in the case of podcasts or uh, or telecasts or anything else that's happening. So uh, He was freelancing that, right? He so the was. contracted days. Yes. No, well, he had, you're absolutely right. So when he was at Fox, 20th Century Fox, he had a contract orchestra. And that contract orchestra was the same as any other, uh, you know, New York Philharmonic or any, they had all these uh, emigres from um, Russia and from uh, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, all all over the place uh, in that in that case, of course. And so there were amazing people that were there to play that had similar backgrounds to to my own father, who was whose mother uh, emigrated from Russia. So uh, my father was the um, the oldest of ten children. There were seven boys and three girls, including including my father. He was one of those seven boys. And he grew up in New Haven, Connecticut, very poor, uh, had nothing. I think my they picked cigarette butts off the ground to smoke. Um, my one uncle was down grabbing a cigarette butt and a fruit wagon ran over his finger and he had his one finger, his index finger, like sewn to his middle finger. And uh, when oh I... You know, but it, it brings up a good story only because when I was uh, always going over, his name was Bob. His name was actually Vivian, but he didn't like Vivian, so he called himself Bob. So Bob, Uncle Bob, I would go over to his house and I would say, how many fingers do you have? And he'd, I, he'd let me count his fingers. And till, <laughs> till finally, every time I came over, he'd open the door and just hold his hands out for me to count so I didn't have to ask anymore. But uh, my dad, when he was a teenager, was asked to go and conduct down in the, in the Follies everything in uh, New York City, uh, upon which uh, he was discovered, I believe, by the Berlins and brought to Los Angeles or Hollywood uh, in order to start working here and then did some uh, ghostwriting for Charlie Chaplin on Modern Times and City Lights and some of the other greats. And uh, finally, I think still is has become known as the father of of modern film music and uh, won 90 Academy Awards, as you said, was nominated over 45 times. Oh, is it that? Only 43? I've been lying for many years because I say over 45. And he scored 350 films, something like that. Did you read 250? There's a big difference in that. I mean, I was getting some of this off of Wikipedia. Oh, Wikipedia. I love Wikipedia. (laughs) I do. I I like Wikipedia. Very scholarly research. I like Wikipedia. So, uh, yes. So, anyway, growing up in that family was inspirational. But now I have three brothers and a sister and two half-brothers. My half-brothers were too much older for me to have a, you know, brotherly-sisterly relationship really with. And my three older brothers are still, you know, almost seven years older, eight years older, and 10 years older, and then a sister who's 13 years older. My dad was in his 60s when he was born. My mom was in her 40s when I was born. So I'm really spread out from the, you know, the age of my father down to uh, where I I stood and stand, I guess, at this point as well. So 
And everyone's basically a musician, almost, right? Yeah, a lot of people are musicians. And in the original, the, you know, the seven boys and three girls of my father's, many of those men uh, went into the arts. And uh, only Randy Newman, my cousin, my adored cousin who is amazing, Randy Newman, his dad was a doctor. My father put him through. He says, you're smart. You're going to medical school. And so he put him through med school and became a doctor. So anyway, my brothers uh, were really great role models as well because they were hard workers in music. And uh, so obviously when a little kid comes into the family and sees what the older siblings are doing, it's it's very typical for that younger sibling to copy. And so that became, yeah, I mean, that's, that's that just life. what I did. That's what you yes, did. I did. We, we all had to study violin and piano. We started with piano first and then violin. And my mother, who considered herself to have no musical talent, uh, which I'm sure she did because she was she had some great rhythm, let me tell you. Uh, but she would clap after every cadence, not just after every the end of a movement or the end of every a piece, cadence. every cadence. There was a lot of clapping going on in that house. <laughs> and then she said, well, you can either help with the dishes or go practice. And it's like, oh, oh I'll practice. practice. <laughs> Although a couple of times I could put the ra- the the record player on upstairs and uh, – and I guess she thought I was really good because Arthur Grumio was on the record player in my room upstairs. And my sister had this old kind of, I don't know, shoddy record player. And <laughs> I used to get it and put Grumio on. She would call up, it sounds beautiful, dear. <laughs> like, thanks, mom. And the funniest thing was once I had on Crelly the concerto grosso, the Christmas concerto. And that's, it was a like a Bruno Walter style big, uh, you know, big <laughs> string orchestra. And she would sound, oh, it sounds beautiful. I'm like, she really can't tell that I have, like, <laughs> a string orchestra on. Come on. What kind so, of music is your dad like? Oh, my dad was a child prodigy pianist. He uh, was a very sensitive pianist uh, who was, funnily enough, well-known for Liszt. Oh. He had those kind of, uh, you know, powerhouse uh, fingers and hands. He There were always fights, of course, in the Newman and Koskoff family. My, my grandmother, my father's mother, was Luba Koskoff. And uh, so the Koskoffs and Newmans were always fighting over who was who was better. But and your dad was not only like part of you know the golden age of Hollywood music, but golden age of just classical music as well. I mean, he's from that time. Yes, and I think he didn't really want to fall into film music. He mm. he did it, and con- he liked conducting because he was with people. And I think he he loved piano, uh, but uh, again, without chamber music, piano is a bit of a solitary instrument. And I think my dad really liked a social interaction with people. He was a great leader, a great in- inspirer. Um, I think also a wonderful mentor. Inspired's a good word. The music is just, in- it's inspired. It It is inspired. Right? The minute yes. it starts, it's so since he died when I was eight years old, and as really horrifying as that was for me, it was it was very sad, very, very sad. We were close because he lived at home, as I was telling you before, and because you he was so freelancing. Young, right. right. And he used to let me scribble on his scores, and he'd send them to his copyist that way, and poor <laughs> copyist. And, uh, but he, um, he, he really did, uh, you know, leave a legacy of music behind, as well as his children, of course, his sons and uh, and nephews. And um, mostly I'm speaking in the male term because there aren't many women in our family that have gone into music. I, I, oh, my brother, David, his daughter, Diana. Diana, I yes, love Yes, Diana. So she's in she's Chicago. In, yes, right? in the Lyric Opera, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so uh, she might be, if I'm wrong. I, no, you're I, right. Okay. Uh, that, not about Diana, but about if there are any other women oh. who have gone into uh, classical music in, uh, and from, you know, Newman, Jean Poole somewhere. But I think we might be the, the only two uh, blood 
Newmans who have gone in into that. So there you have it. <laughs> he left a legacy of music behind. Which you um, are continuing on to this day. Well, I hope so. And you know, I can't get any of his music from without paying a lot of money. Uh, we don't own the music. The music, uh, you know, it's it's a work made for hire. Uh, so the only way I can, can really do it is if I can find a songbook or I can do takedowns, um, and I've done a lot. And and this summer, I got to play the violin solo on a uh, moment in Wuthering Heights, Kathy's theme, that Perlman did with the uh, with the um, Boston, I think it was with the Boston Pops with John Williams. So John Williams gave us permission to do that. It was really extraordinary to be able to. And then just afterwards, my brother David conducted that very, that very same piece at the Hollywood Bowl with uh, one of the concertmasters there performing the violin part. Interesting. And did he have uh, chamber music as well? No. Really? He, no he concert write, music. He wrote not one piece of concert music. That's that's what's so tough. But I mean, I have definitely transcribed a lot of his music for the concert stage, as have other composers and arrangers. He has some suites that have been fashioned of his music that are just brilliant. One is the Diary of Anne Frank. Uh, Mm. Absolutely stunning. And by the way, trivia, uh, if you uh, like or dislike USC, whenever the football team wins, you get to hear Conquest, which is from Captain from Castile. Tyrone Power was in that movie, the actor. And uh, my, my father wrote that and also the 20th Century Fox fanfare, which better not ever change to 21st Century Fox because we got to <laughs> keep that fanfare. Oh, he, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The dun, 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 that one. It's just like unbelievable. Okay. Well, we could talk about him for like a whole, we should just do another podcast yeah. on your father. But tell me about your music. Or just the Woolsey Fire. Um, I know. Okay. Well, let me tell you a tiny bit about my mother. She oh, was right. she was a Goldwyn girl. She she actually grew up in the Mississippi Delta. And my dad was a twice divorced Jewish man. My mother was, as I was saying, from the Bible Belt. They fell in love. Her family was not very happy about it, but they had a beautiful, beautiful marriage, as far as I know, you know, what I saw until I was eight years old and my mom really mourned, uh, mourned my father's death, et cetera. And uh, my mother was so beautifully behind my father and her children, and I felt it important to honor her. My father is easy to honor. We have his music. We have his awards. We have his recognition. And his also his story kind of rags to riches, although in those days, I don't think film composers were quite as, well, I don't know about right now, but for a while, I think composers were very, very wealthy. I think my father did okay, but he tended to uh, give a lot of money away. And so my mother had a lot to do to get him back in line. And she was an amazing businesswoman. She started raising money to, uh, she she gave several halls. She gave a a hall to USC, the Alfred Newman Recital Hall. And she she did several other charitable donations for for music as well. And uh, very proud of that. And I just thought it was important that 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 Martha Montgomery was my mother's name, Martha Montgomery. I thought it was important that she be honored in some way. So we named our venue and concert series after Martha Montgomery, which is why Montgomery Arts House for Music and Architecture. And the architecture has to do with, of course, the Eric Lloyd Wright and the long relationship that our family had with the Lloyd Wright family. So that's that's a, That's absolutely beautiful. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know this. All right, Maria, I want to know about your music. 
<laughs> enough talking about everyone else. I want to hear about um, your silent film scores. I was listening to some stuff on YouTube. I love your viola concerto and your string quart- first string quartet. So tell me um, your evolution as a composer. When, when did okay. you write your first piece? Were you young? I wrote my first piece, yeah, probably before I was 10 years old, but I was intimidated. And at the time, I wasn't intimidated. I became intimidated. You know how you go through puberty, you become intimidated, (laughs) right? And I mean, you know, my brothers were really great at everything they did. And so I decided I didn't want to compose. I wanted to be the interpreter in the family. I wanted to be the one that was, uh, well, I mean, it would have been great for me if they were doing the same thing, but I wanted to be a person who was playing. And I, I think that was actually ended up being really good for me. But I, so I kind of wrote in the closet. I did end up having to write. Somehow was in my, in my blood to do that. But I learned I think a lot about writing from composing, from sitting in various spots in a string quartet, in an orchestra. So first violin, second violin, viola, uh, anything that came up in kind of an odd combination of chamber music instruments. Being really good friends with uh, with wind players and brass players and percussionists, uh, singers of all different voice types. Trying to uh, see what I could make of that because I was incredibly inspired by the various skills and skill sets that uh, various musicians and uh, uh, those musicians and their their genres, either what they had in common, what their differences were to try to make people blend, to try to make things happen that were, uh, were a little bit more unique, perhaps. Uh, it was really important for me eventually to try to create a language that was mine. I didn't want to going to film music for several reasons, uh, which I'll get into. But anyway, getting back to, um, I, I wrote early, but then sort of hid it from everybody. And I used to write under a pseudonym, which was M, the, the like my name, Maria, but M, period. And then Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, and then Parker, P-A-R-K-E-R, M. Lewis Parker. And that was actually my grandmother's name was Mary Lewis Parker. But I thought I wouldn't be judged by being a woman. And I also wouldn't be judged by being a player because at the time, players and composers seemed to be separating. At at the start of everything, everybody was everything, right? And then it's sort of, well, you had to be a composer, but you couldn't also be a violinist or a pianist. Maybe you had those skills, but you really needed to, yeah. And I, so I didn't want to be judged for that. So it's changing now, which is great. Really is. The kids are doing it, they're doing it all. Oh, yes. Which, Yes. And it also disseminates one's works. So right. if you're a player, you know, you can play your work. Uh, you can hopefully show it off to uh, what you consider to be its full capacity. Of course, I would be humble. I'd like to stay humble and not saying that it's, you know, worth something more than it is, but for myself. But finally, uh, people were asking if they could, where they could purchase these pieces, who uh, who was M. Lewis Parker, and I couldn't come up with a really good answer anymore. So I started, I, you know, I came out of the composition closet. I came out of my own closet. <laughs> And I started writing under Maria Newman. I'm not sure it was the best thing. I should have done what uh, Rebecca Clark did and write under Anthony, whatever oh, the guy's right. name was. Yeah. yeah, she had more success that way, I heard. Um, but anyway, I uh, I started writing and it, it took off from there because I'm positive because I'm a player. So when I was playing something, somebody else would hear it. They'd want to play it, take it somewhere else. And of course, the web starts. The web of uh, of communication starts. From there, went to maybe some bigger chamber music pieces and, and some bigger orchestra pieces. I have, of course, pieces in all genres at this point from, you know, large orchestra, large choir, uh, down to solo, 
know, then we have sonatas and string quartets, just as you were saying, and even silent film. But silent film had an inauspicious beginning. Oh, let's hear it. Okay, so <laughs> silent film. So I, I didn't want to go into film music. A, I'm a rebel. B, I'm a gypsy. <laughs> Those two things, definitely. Forget it. Forget it. I didn't think I was going to do too well. I, I, you know, I mean, I love collaborating, but I love being an equal collaborator rather than um, one who was going to have to, you know what, I don't even want to say that. I just want to say that at the time, it was was important for me as a daughter of the Newman family to not go into film music because that's what everybody else was doing. Even Randy, who had, of course, a huge career, has a huge career as a singer-songwriter, is a brilliant film composer. Brilliant. I don't even think he gets a credit that he deserves for this. He is incredible. And he knows his stuff. He knows it. And his orchestrations are brilliant. And so anyway, but he was, of course, known as a singer-songwriter. Anyway, there there were so far beyond me. I mean, Randy is, you know, a couple of decades older than me. And so I, I you know, what was I, what was I going to do? So the silent film thing came about when I got a, a call from Timeline Films and the Mary Pickford Foundation. And a lovely... A gentleman named Hugh Monroe Neely, who was then the curator of the foundation and the Mary Pickford Library, told me that, uh, well, he called me and he said, Maria, I had known him way back. He was concertmaster of a community orchestra when I was just a little tiny girl. I think I was nine years old or something. And uh, he was there playing concertmaster, you know, when we, how we were. We were all young doing these things. He calls me up and he says, we'd like you to write a score for Daddy Longlegs, which is uh, one of seven movies that we'll be restoring of Mary Pickford and putting on a set together for either sale or Turner Classics broadcast, etc. And I said, I think you have the wrong Newman. <laughs> and he said, no, I... Actually, we are doing something that is very differentiating within the series. So he was going to have a piece that was, say, period music. Another that was the Wurlitzer organ, perhaps in period music. Um, a 1950s Carl Davis-style score. It might have even been Carl Davis at the time. Something like that. And on mine, he said he wanted some chamber music just the way I would write it. And I said, are you sure? That's what, <laughs> That's <laughs> I mean, amazing. it's not going to be the kind of music that is sublimates, under, thank you, underscores is exactly the right term. And, and he said, no, we really, really want this. So I said, well, okay, I have, a, I have a deal to make with you. If I could have the rights to Daddy Longlegs and perform it live, so long as I'm, you know, the one in charge of it, so to speak, or give somebody else who I'm sure will do a good job with everything could I have that as part of my contract to perform live? Could I have, because, you know, even if the elements are public domain of the film, uh, the fact that Mary Pickford Library put it together, the foundation put it together, means it completely belongs to them. So he said, absolutely. We got that written up in the contract. And I have performed Daddy Longlegs so many times live, as have other organizations. Live to picture. Live to picture, exactly. And what's live the instrumentation for it? Uh, well, the, or your piece? Yes, the original. It's a string quintet, piano, harp, clarinet, uh, some brass, percussion. Did I say harp already? I probably did. Yes. So it was like, if you will, a large chamber ensemble or small chamber orchestra. How do you want to look at it? Okay, so you were tricked into scoring a picture and you must have, I mean, well, I loved it. It sounds like you had a great experience. I did because I got to write, I mean, surely picture 
leads you in a certain direction. But it is one person's interpretation. So meaning if you're looking at it to write the music, I mean, Brett, you as composer would have a completely different interpretation than I would. So in in my own way, it was really a fun thing to be able to use a language that was, you know, innate to my own soul for that particular film. And, and you then, didn't have a director coming in not at every all. two minutes saying, oh, they, can you change this? Can you change this? Exactly. There was none of that. Or you're covering dialogue or there wasn't. <laughs> so I, <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> I chose, <laughs> definitely not. So I chose that collaborative sound so that the music became as, I mean, some people may hate that, but I chose it to be as alive as what was on the screen. So it was definitely, as you were saying, not an underscore. It was definitely, un, uh, well, bringing out the characters. Right. So Bringing right. out, out and, the characters. And featuring your music, which is really the reason I wanted to do this interview with you. I mean, not only because you're just an incredible person, but I wanted everyone to go out there and discover your incredible music because it needs oh, to be discovered. So, that's so kind of you. And it needs to be played more, so. Thank you. Since Daddy Long Legs, I have scored many other feature-length films uh, under the auspices of both Mary Pickford Foundation as well as uh, Turner Classics and uh, Warner Brothers. And thirdly, by the Annenberg Foundation. The Annenberg Foundation was kind enough to take me on as a fellow to score the uh, Marion Davies. That's a whole nother story, I got to tell you. Marion Davies' incredible picture called Quality Street. And Conrad Nagel, don't forget this. Conrad Nagel was her co-star. He has three stars on Hollywood Boulevard. Three oh radio, uh, movies, and something else. Sorry. Wow. Three stars. Three stars. Just pretty amazing. And I don't know that many people know who he is. And then many shorts, uh, which we can perform then in more typical chamber music style settings. You might do a Beethoven quartet, and then you do a 12-minute short of Mary Pickford. And uh, I think the audiences really appreciate that diversity when so we do you, those live. you are like your film composer on your own terms. I love that. <laughs> it's incredible. Maria, thank you so much for being here. Brett, thank you. You are beautiful in <laughs> every <too>. way. Thank <laughs> you. I'm Brett Banducci, and you've been listening to Classical Chops Studio, the podcast from classicalchops.org. You can follow us on Facebook and YouTube, and if you haven't already, please subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening.